We're glad that you're here this morning. Did you not feel like this morning that you walked into a different world when you walked into this sanctuary today? I would like to take just a moment and say a very special thank you to those who helped us to transform this sanctuary into this winter wonderland. Uh, Justin at the back uh, helped head this up and Kaylin over here who brought Emmanuel with her today, God with us, amen. She did, and all of the volunteers just did such a wonderful, wonderful job. I had absolutely nothing to do with it other than two things. I gave them a budget and said, try not to go over it, and I asked them to wrap the columns out front of the church, and that's the only thing that I had anything to do with. The rest of it was all their creation I think it would be appropriate if we could give them a good applause this morning and let them know how much we appreciate the great job that they've done. Amen. Praise the Lord. I have some good news I want to share with you, and then I want to issue a challenge with, to you this morning. You know, I don't say a lot about money. Uh, I have taught you through the years to bring your tithe to the storehouse and the majority of you are very faithful in doing that. You bring it in and place it in the boxes on the back wall. And uh, you bring your tithe. And because you do that, we are able to operate our church here. Uh, how many of you know that Andy Bashir doesn't send us any money every month? Uh, that President Biden doesn't send us any money to operate the church on. The only way they operate, the church operates is through the giving and the tithing of God's people. And uh, you have been very faithful to that. So we don't say a whole lot about it. We just uh, remind you from time to time. But today, I want to mention to you and give you a progress report. At the beginning of the year, in January of 2023, we decided together that it was time for us to knock out the million-dollar monster. Uh, and most of you know that that refers to the mortgage that was on this building and the Lord has helped us to bring it from a million dollars to the beginning of this year. Our balance was $618,918. So we've paid off about $400,000 on this mortgage. I asked you if you would join me in us uh, paying an extra $2,000 on the principal payment each month for this year. And many of you took on a, a, a commitment to give each month. Some of you give weekly. Some of you give every time you get paid. Uh, some of you pay uh, randomly, but you've been faithful. And our goal has been to get 2,000 additional dollars, all to be paid immediately to the principal. At the end of every month, we write a check so that we can get uh, so that we can save the interest by paying down the principal. So we've been doing that. We are now at the end of November, which would be 11 months in the year. So we should be at $22,000 uh, in additional payments on our mortgage. And today I would like to report to you that because of your faithfulness, and because of some miracle money that has come in, and I told you to expect that. I told you when God starts doing things and when we start cooperating with God's plan, God begins to do things that, that we can't see in advance other than through eyes of faith. 
But at the end of this month, and we still have one more month to go, we have raised over $41,000 that has been paid to pay down this mortgage. So that includes not only the small amounts and the medium amounts and the larger amounts, but it includes some miracle money that has been invested into this. And I, I really believe that God is going to help us to liquidate this mortgage so that we will not be in debt to the lender. That sounds like scripture to me. How, how many of you know that? And if we're not in debt to the lender, then all of that money that we've been paying to the lender through the years can become available to reach the harvest that God is going to give us. So I wanted to say thank you. So we started the year at $618,918.84, and it now our balance now is $551,305.25. So this year, we have knocked off $67,613.59. That's the report. Now I want to challenge you. We have one month to give. We're at $41,000 for the year. It would be a small step for us to get to $50,000 by the end of this year. Now it would take some folks stepping up and, and planting some seed that you maybe had not thought about. We have a lot of times people will ask us, how they can bless the church at the end of the year. And so I wanted to let you know that we're going to put forth an effort to try to get that $9,000 so that we can say at the end of the year, praise be unto God who has blessed us abundantly and we can achieve $50,000 this year in order to go toward that mortgage. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I know it would. And so I want you to pray about it. That's all I'm asking you to do today. I'm not asking you for, the, for you to reach for your purses or dig into your wallets or anything like that. I'm simply asking you to pray and ask God, Lord, how would you like for me to participate in this and, and bring glory to your name? So the last Sunday of the year is always our celebration dinner. And so on the last Sunday of the year which is uh, January 31st, by the way, which is New Year's, um, we want to invite you to bring an offering on that day. Or if you want to do it beforehand and get it over with, you're welcome to do that. But we would like to be able to report back to you on that day what God uh, has enabled us to do to help get rid of this mortgage. Amen. How many of you sense, like I do, that God is doing a thing? There are times that you don't know where it's going to come from, from or how God's going to do it, but you just know that God's going to get involved in the process. He's going to be faithful when we operate in faith and by faith. And so I'm just asking you, if God has blessed you, and if He chooses to bless you in the future, I want you to consider this, and let's get this church out of debt. Amen? For the glory of God and so that we can reach the harvest in these last days. So thank you for all that you've done. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well.
today begins our journey toward Christmas. Uh, it, it starts the time when we start focusing our attention upon Christmas and the, and the good news and the message of Jesus Christ and why he came. Now, it's not my job as your pastor to define for you who Santa Claus is. Most of you already know who he is. It's not my job to tell you where to hide the elf on the shelf this week and the various days. That's not my job. That, you guys can carry that load on your own. I know you can. Most of us all know about the, the, the actions and the celebrations of Christmas. And listen, I'm not saying anything against that. I'm not preaching against that. I'm one of those guys that I think our families ought to enjoy life. Jesus came to give us life abundantly, amen? And so if you have a, a Santa Claus in your house and hanging on your tree, um, God bless you. I, it doesn't bother me at all. I probably have two or three at least on my Christmas tree, at least. We don't do the elf anymore because it'd be a little pointless with just me and Donna. Because one of us would have to hide it and the other would have to find it. And listen, when you get our age, it's just there are better things in life to do. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> but I know that many of you are in that journey right now with your kids and your grandkids. And, and praise the Lord for that. But I'll tell you what is my job as your pastor. My job is to tell you what this book has to say about the real reasons behind Christmas and why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. And so we're going to turn theologically for the next three weeks. Next week, Pastor John's going to be preaching the second uh, message in this series, and then I'll clean it up the next week. Not that I have to clean up after Pastor John. He usually cleans up after me. Uh, but we'll finish it up in about three weeks, and, and we'll just that we'll have a good, clear understanding of what Scripture has to say about the coming of Christ. And so we're going to do that, and we're going to start today, and I pray that this will be a blessing to you and that you will understand the theology of Christmas. Now listen, it's been a few years back now, but I think one of the greatest, um, I, I'm trying to use a good word, one of, one of the greatest possible offenses that, that uh, was lobbied at me was when someone said, I don't want to hear some old man tell me about theology. And uh, people ended up leaving the church and that kind of thing. First of all, I wasn't old. I'm still not old. And number two, the reality is, is that that just shows the immaturity of a person who doesn't want to understand theology. Because the practical living out of our lives before Christ has to come through our understanding of theology and our understanding of what Scripture has to say. Because if we don't have theology as the framework for what we believe, then it's very easy for us to believe things that are not true and that are unimportant. And so without apology... I'm going to be heavy on theology in my participation in this sermon series because I want us to know, why did Jesus come? What is the purpose in his coming? And then we'll also talk some about practical application of that 
But we've got, before we get to the practical, we have to get to the theological. So I want you to hang with me today. I'm going to take you through this. And by the end of the day today, I, I hope that you will know why Jesus came the way that he did and how that impacts our life. Amen? So you just point your hand this direction and pray with me and for me that as I speak, I will speak effectively and bring the true Word of God to you today. Father, thank you for this wonderful group of people that is gathered here today to hear this message and to hear about you. Lord, I thank you that you allow us to celebrate life and you allow us to celebrate abundantly. The reality is, is that all of our celebration has to be founded upon the theology of the Word of God because we're Christ followers. We can't follow you if we don't know what your Word says. So help me today to explain it effectively, and then, Lord, let us apply it in such a way that it will be fruitful in our lives. And, Father, we give you praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I heard a story about a young lady by the name of Jessica. She was four years old, and she had had a wonderful Christmas. They'd opened up the gifts, and she got everything that she had hoped for. Her mom and dad had made all the traditional Christmas foods and had laid them on the table, and she had eaten all the food that she loved, and it was absolutely the best Christmas that Jessica had ever experienced. And at the end of the day, when her mother was putting her in bed and tucking her in, she looked at her mother and she said, Mom, I sure hope that Joseph and Mary have another baby next year. <laughs> And here's the reality. Joseph and Mary did have additional children, but you do know and understand that the additional children that they had could never measure up to the child Jesus Christ that was born of that virgin mother. And so we're thankful for Jesus today, aren't we? So we want to talk about for the next three weeks about this idea of Jesus being the promised one. He was not just a precious child, and he was a precious child. He was not just a perfect child in the theological sense, but he was the promised child because he had been promised by his father. And so today we're going to unpack the pen and the words that came to us from Isaiah, and we're going to talk about uh, how that this promise touches our lives. I have three thoughts for you today. And the first is this, that this promised child was planned eternally. And here's what I mean by that. From the very beginning of time, Jesus Christ had been decided that he would be the lamb that would be slaughtered from the foundations of the earth. It was planned in eternity by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They put a plan into place. Now, the date of Isaiah, chapter 7, was 735 years before Christ came. It came out of the nation of Judah, and the king at the time was a man by the name of Ahaz. Ahaz was the leader of this area at the time, and it was a very uncertain time. It was in many ways a lot like the United States and the world that we live in today. There was chaos everywhere. 
Ahaz rejected the words and the prophecies that came from God and his prophets. And he rejected them in every area of his life. He sold God and sold his country to other nations and uncertainty and unrest into the kingdom. It was a time that he rejected the word of God in such a way that he began to follow pagan gods in light of the prophecies of the true God. Ahaz even took his own child and burned his child on the altar to pagan gods. Now, you and I can't even really understand something like that when we go back through history and realize it's bad enough that we live in a world where people can very easily abort children that were conceived in a mother's womb by the hand of God. He is our creator. And every conception is divine. And when we choose to abort that baby, it is really no different than what Ahaz did when he laid his child on the altar and burned that child in sacrifice to pagan gods. So in this setting, we get a word from Isaiah in chapter 14, excuse me, in chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now the Hebrew word here for sign speaks of something that is miraculous. It's out of the ordinary. It's extraordinary in many ways. And that's what Isaiah is saying. He says in verse 11 that precedes what I've just read to you, he said, if you will ask for a sign from the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. What the meaning here is that when the Word of God comes to us, it won't be an ordinary God it's, or an ordinary Word. It's going to be a Word that speaks to the unlimited power of God. It will be as high as the heavens and as low as Sheol itself. It will cover all of the expanse of that territory from whatever God sets His mind to do. He will do it in an extraordinary way. Can I just pause long enough to tell you that God still works in our lives in that way today? We don't have to wonder if God is able. The Word of God says He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of God that is at work within us. How many of you know that whatever you're facing in your life today, we have a God who is able to do what needs to be done in your life? That is the practical sense of the theology that we just read when he says when the sign of God becomes evident, it will be unlimited in all of its ways. It will be as high as the heavens and as low as hell itself. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we serve a God like that, aren't you? It is without limits. Now this sign that came and originated with God. Sign did not originate with Isaiah, 
but rather it originated from the heart of God himself. Now we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and we can see where God is speaking about the future. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now there are two references here to seed. There is thy seed and there is her seed. The seed refers to Satan and the second seed refers to to Mary, her seed. And the scripture tells us what that means. He announces that the seed of the woman would be Jesus Christ and he would bruise the head of Satan. That promise that we have was initially given in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, who was born of a woman and born under the law. And it will finish in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2 where we are told, He seizes the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Listen, just just so that you'll have some hope today, I want you to know that even though we are living in the age where Satan has been given some opportunities to come against us, he cannot win this battle against Jesus. The prophecy is that there will come a day when God himself will bruise the heel of Satan and he will take control of him and he will take control of this earth. I'm glad to know that today. Sin and Satan will have their day in God's courtroom because judgment is coming. Justice will prevail. God will overcome. Jesus is the one that will do the bruising. Even though they bruised Him at Calvary, when He came out of that grave, like we sang about today, it was the promise that one of these days, when He brings it all together, He will, in fact, bruise the head of Satan and He will take control. By woman had come sin, but by woman would come the Savior. By woman had come the curse, but by a woman would come the Christ. By a woman, paradise was lost, but by a woman, paradise will be regained. Are you thankful for godly women today? Amen. That is the promise of God. Then next we see that God is the one who orchestrated the promise. It comes from Him. Notice that the Scripture says, The Lord Himself shall give a sign. It's not coming from me. It didn't come from you. It came from God Himself. And how many of you know that God cannot lie? Then He has restricted Himself to the Word of God. And He gives us a sign. Luke chapter 1, verses 35 through 37 says, And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, somebody shout, old age, 
has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And then he sums it all up in the next verse, verse 37. He said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Isn't it interesting that God caused Elizabeth to be pregnant with John the Baptist in her old age? For those of you who are getting older, let me remind you that there is no ceasing what God can do in your life. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how feeble you may feel. The only thing that matters is God's plan for your life and His anointing upon you. Your days of productivity are not finished and they are not over. And He will not be finished until He decides to be finished. And then when He's finished, He'll bring you home and to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord and you will spend eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. Aren't you looking forward to that day? But until then, don't you give up because God can use you. In other words, that which was impossible from the human side of perspective would be incredible from the heavenly side. This would be an, not be an ordinary birth, but an extraordinary birth. It would not be the birth of just simply a man, but it would be the birth of a God-man. This would not be the birth of just a son, but thank God it would be the birth of a Savior who could come and take our sins away. This was not the result of coincidence, but it was the result of providence. It didn't accidentally happen. It in somewhere somehow morph from somewhere. God Himself put all of this into motion. Secondly, this prophecy came to us. It was prophetically announced. In other words, in Genesis chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, those were all prophetic words that came straight from God. And here's the amazing part. When this prophecy from Isaiah came, I've already told you, it was 735 years before Jesus even came. Now, how could a prophet like Isaiah be able to identify everything that would happen and the way that it would happen and the timing that it would happen 735 years in advance? I'll tell you, it's the same way that Noah knew that he needed to get busy building an ark because God's Word had come forth. It had been prophetically uttered. And even though God had not done the thing yet, He was going to use him to save the world. And the same is true with Isaiah. When he spoke the words, God had not yet sent His Son. But when the prophecy came forth that He would give us a sign and He would send his son how many of you know it was as good as done some of us need to start living our lives as though the word of God is as good as done some of you are worried about what might be some of you are worried about what the world's going to turn out like some of you are going to you're worried about how your 
personal circumstances are going to pan out. But listen, the only thing you need to be focused on is not fear of the future, but faith in knowing that if God has declared it to be true, then praise God, God's Word is going to come to pass. Can you say amen today? He prophesied a supernatural birth. Verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign, and the sign is this, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So the first thing that he prophesies is about a person. He makes it clear that the person that God is going to use to bring this promise to pass was a young virgin lady. Now here's where the theology comes in. We have to understand that if the birth of Jesus had not come the way that it did, then the birth of Jesus would be no different than anyone else. It had to come through the virgin. <clears throat> now this is an issue that has sparked a lot of debate through the years because of the Hebrew words. The Hebrew word for virgin is Alma. A-L-M-A-H, H. And many suggest that this just simply means a young woman. And so it's not a big deal because it's just a young woman. It could be any young woman. But there is also another word that is used, and it is Bethula. And it literally means one who is a virgin, one who has never been in relationship with a man, one who could never naturally have a child because they've never been with a man. Now that is how Mary was described. She was a virgin, had never been with a man, and God tells her how this is going to happen. He says the Holy Ghost is going to come over you and overshadow you. Now, some have made that to be something that it is, is not at all. How many of you know that everything that happens spiritually in life happens through the power of the Holy Spirit? God is uh, conducting things. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven where He ever lives to make intercession for the saints of God. But the Holy Spirit of God is alive and well within us. And so the, anything that happens spiritually is based on the fruit of the Word of God being activated in us by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good news today? And so what he is saying here is that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And in that protective bubble, if you will. The Holy Spirit is going to do a supernatural, not a natural work, but a supernatural work in you that will be different than what happened with Elizabeth. Because the seed of Elizabeth had been planted there by her husband. But the seed in Mary had been inserted there, if you will, by the power of the Holy Spirit and through a supernatural process, not a natural one. And so this birth of Jesus was something that was entirely spiritual. 
See, if he had not been born of the virgin, as I've already said, his birth would have been no different from yours or mine. It would have just been an ordinary birth. But he tells us what the process looks like. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now here's something that oftentimes escapes us. You see, when it says a child is born, he is in fact talking about a human process. How many of you know that Mary actually had to give birth to this son? How many of you know that she had to raise this child? She cradled Jesus in her arms. A child was born through a natural process after the supernatural process had conceived it in her. But not only was he born, but a son, it says, is given. So a son, a child is born and a son is given. This is a reference to the fact that God Himself gave Jesus Christ to this world. You see, the Scripture says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there was a natural process that produced a child, but there was a supernatural process that brought to us the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it was a gift that was given to us by God Himself. And then He tells us why He did it. He says this child in Isaiah 9 and 6 said He shall be called Wonderful. He shall be called Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, these names are just not names that are you're given so that we can call Him something, but it is attached to a purpose. You see, one who is a wonderful counselor means that He will be able to help us deal with all of the decisions of life. If He's called the mighty God, it means that He is able to deal with the demands of life. There's nothing too hard for Him. As the everlasting Father, it means that He will be able to deal with the difficulties of life. As the Prince of Peace, it means that He will be able to deal with all of the disturbances of life. In other words, what the prophet is saying is, is this child that is coming to you will be a God, a Savior, who is able to cover every area of your life. I see the theology here helps us to apply the reality that He can help us in every area of our life. Many of you are dealing with different types of circumstances in your life right now. Some of you, it's relationships that you're struggling with and that you're trying to get through in a positive way. Some of you, it's physical. You know, I, I've discovered that God heals our bodies in many different ways. We, Because we're Pentecostal, we believe that every time God heals somebody, it's got to be immediate. It's got to be right now. It's got to be supernatural. It's got, it's got to be in this divine moment. But how many of you know that sometimes God just heals us supernaturally over a course of time? He allows healing to come to our bodies. 
you've ever broken your leg and had to have that leg put in a cast, you know that while God can immediately fuse those bones together, a lot of times they put that leg in the cast because He started a process in you when you were conceived that instructs those bones to come back together and heal themselves. Your leg can heal itself. Your arm can heal itself. When Miss Donna fell here a few months ago, and we went to the doctor and they took the rest, uh, the, 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 what do you call them, the x-rays, they told her, said, you have a fracture here. But they said, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to do surgery because it's going to heal itself. It'll be all right. And I thought to myself, praise God for healing. Amen? Because though God did not speak an an intentional, immediate word, He had already placed in her body the ability for it to heal itself. Amen. Jane just recently had some surgery. And I I noticed today she kind of lifting that shoulder up. She kind of doing this, that, and the other. You know what God's doing in her? He is healing her body. It's not going to be long before she'll throw both of those hands up in the air and say, praise God through whom all healing flows. Amen. God is our healing, our healer. God is divine in that He can do any and all things. And then in this prophecy, we learn that Jesus lived a sinless life. See the hand of everybody in the house that you've never committed a sin in your life. Anybody here? You've never sinned. Okay. Just wanted to clear the air before we went. The truth of the matter is is that we were born into sin. But Jesus was sinless. We learned that from Him. Now notice Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 15. You maybe have never noticed this verse of Scripture before. But it says, He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now when we first read this, it looks like a celebration. It looks like that it's talking about Jesus being able to overcome sin after he had sinned. And so when he, when he celebrated his victory over the sin, he decided to celebrate by eating curds and honey. It's, it's like when we have a birthday, somebody brings us a birthday cake. We eat the birthday cake to celebrate our birthday. But that's not at all what this is talking about. It's referencing a process of him growing physically. He had not sinned, but what he is referencing here is that he was old enough to eat curds and honey And in that moment, he was also able to overcome any kind of sin at all. How many of you know that when our children are born, we start their diets off in such a way that it will be beneficial for them, but they won't get choked? For instance, have you ever heard anybody say, you know, you don't feed babies grapes. You don't throw a grape in a baby's mouth because they can get choked on that grape. How many of you know you don't give a baby a hot dog? Because they can get choked on that hot dog. So we, we twist up their food. We grind it up. We put it in a bottle. Listen, I want you to, I don't know if they still make these or not. But back when Jonathan was just a baby, they made these, 
these big feeders. They look like syringes. You put the food on the inside, and you pull the thing out like this, and it kind of sucked the food in there, you know what I'm saying? And then you put that in, in the baby's mouth. Jonathan could empty one of those things in about 30 seconds. I mean, you stuck that thing in his mouth, and he'd go to town on it. Now, you could just watch it going down. Boom, 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 boom. Jonathan has never hurt for food in his life. But as he has grown through the years, he has learned that he can eat different things. And the reference here is that Jesus had grown naturally to the place that just like he knew that he could eat curds and honey, he also realized that he had the ability to choose and to refuse evil and choose good. Now let me just say to you today, the theology here is very clear. There ought to come a time in our lives as Christians when we stop doing things that we did before we came to Christ. So that when we come to Christ, we begin to shed ourselves of things that are sinful in this world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, talking about Jesus, says, He was a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Aren't you glad to know today that we have a sinless Savior? And then one other thing I want to share with you. All of this theology that we just talked about, all the history of it, all the timeline of it, all the reality of why Jesus came and how He came and how it was prophesied, has to be personally accepted. That's the last point. I have learned through many years of pastoring that there are some people that they just don't want to accept Christ. They just don't want Jesus. They like the, their life the way that it is. They like things the way that it's going. And they don't want Christ because Christ would make them grow up and mature in their faith. But listen, if you're going to accept Christ, you have to do it personally. It has to be a personal choice. Mark Twain said, man is like the moon. We all have a dark side that we don't want anyone to see. That's true, isn't it? All of us have those private places. One author called them blind spots that we don't want anybody to know about. But Jesus knows. Now, in the world that we live in, we don't want to call it sin. We don't want to admit to being sinners. I've heard people fuss at me because I have at times said, I have to remember that I am a sinner saved by grace. I was born into it. But the grace of God has translated me out of a sinful nature into a spiritual nature. And I'm thankful for that. But we've got to realize that sin exists. Now, the sociologists won't agree with that. They call it a cultural lag. The psychiatrists won't agree with it. They call it emotional behavior. The philosopher won't accept it because he says that it's just 
irrational thinking. The humanist excuses it as human weakness. The Marxist defines it as a class struggle. The psychologist explains it in terms of psychogenes and just inappropriate conduct. The Freudian speaks of it as a slip. The criminologist writes it off as antisocial behavior. The liberal theologians say that it's just a lack of social action. But God says that it's none of those things. God says it is sin. And how many of you know that we have to deal with it? And so as I begin to bring this to a close, I just want to say to you very clearly, you're the only one who can deal with the sin in your life. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, you're the only one who can do that. Your mom and dad can't do it. Your husband, your wife can't do it. Others can't do it for you. You have to personally accept it. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4 says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. That's theology. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That's theology. Romans 3 and verse 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's theology. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's theology. And we have to respond to the theology by living in such a way that we can deal with what that theology tells us. The problem of sin is exclusive as well as inclusive. No one is excluded from it, and everyone is included in the problem of sin. Don and I have been watching this show. It's Hallmark, so that means there's no cussing, there's no sleeping together, there's none of that stuff that I don't like to watch. But one of the characters got in an accident, and he started taking some pills, pain pills, and he got addicted after he got addicted, he decided that he would go and that he would uh, get into a 12-step program. And for several times he visited, he would never admit to the fact that he was an addict. And one of them told them, said, you'll never be able to do steps 2 through 12 until you realize how important it is to acknowledge step 1. And step 1 simply means that you have to admit that you're an addict. And let me just say to you this morning, it's not good enough for you to just come to church. It's, it's not good, of you, good enough for you to just call yourself religious. Religion won't save you. It's not even good enough for you to know theology because theology is simply the transfer of knowledge in a way that you can, you can turn your life around. The reality is, is the only way that you're going to make it through 
dealing with the sin problem is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And we've got people watching on the television today on the live stream and you're not here today, let me just encourage you. You may not be here, but Jesus is where you are. And you can accept Him right where you are by just admitting that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Some of you many years ago decided that you needed a Savior, but you haven't changed your lifestyle in any way to acknowledge the fact that you need Jesus this Christmas season. We have to understand that this is not about Santa Claus. It's not about the elf. It's not about the candy canes. It's not about the beautiful trees and the lights. It's about Jesus Christ and letting Him become Lord and Savior of our lives. I want to close with this statement. A friend of mine, a pastor in the state named Howard Wurtzfeld. I saw him Um, Friday night at our state Christmas banquet, and I said, I saw what you posted on Facebook. I said, and I'm going to use it Sunday in my message. And he just laughed. He said, feel free. You have my blessing. So what I'm about to tell you is not original with me. It came from Howard. He said this. He said, had our greatest need been information, God would have sent us an educator. Had our greatest need been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. Had our greatest need been money, God would have sent us an economist. Had our greatest need been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was salvation. So God sent us a Savior. Aren't you glad He sent us a Savior? You stand with me this morning. Prayer team, will you come this morning and prepare yourselves to minister to this congregation? I'm so glad that Jesus invited me to accept Him as Savior. And I want to look you square in the eyes today and I just want to say to you, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, there's no time like the present for you to do it. There's no time like the present for you to stop playing games with Him and just say, Lord, I need you to come into my life. I know I'm a sinner. I know I was born into it. But I also know greater than that is that you are a Savior and you can save me from my sin. So today, if you need prayer of any kind, I want you to come and I want you to let this ministry team lay hands on you and pray with you. This morning as I was preparing my thoughts for the day in the altar service, it dawned on me that we've got a lot of people right now that are sick. They're unable to be in church for physical reasons. Zane Smith as an example and and, uh, Gail Milburn as an example can't be here. There are others. If you have a good friend, if you have an acquaintance, if you have someone that you know that they're not here today because they're sick in their body, why don't you just come forward and come to these prayer intercessors and say, I'm coming today presenting myself as a vessel on behalf of Zane Smith, or on behalf of whoever it is that you'd like 
to have us pray for. There are many things that we need to be praying for. And here's the other thing that the Lord laid on my heart. How many of you know that we're all the salt of the earth? Jane, I was, I was kind of kidding with you the other night at the Derby dinner. Because you know, it's hard to talk to you and not be in a kidding mood. You know what I'm saying? Just your personality. You're one of those fun people to be around. She said something that night that really moved me. Really did. I don't mean I broke down in tears or anything like that, but it moved me. Because she made a special trip to a hospital so that she could pray for somebody who needed to be led to the Lord. And she said, I care so much about souls. I want to see souls come to Jesus. And when she said that, I thought, yes, yes. I wish everybody who attended this church We get passionate about testifying about what God has done in your life and doing it in such a way that others can realize that Jesus can save them too. Can you imagine what our church would look like this time next year if every one of us here won someone to Jesus Christ? I said, Pastor, do you really think things like that? Hey, all I know is in the New Testament, they threw a, throw a few fish at them and a few loaves and people would come by the thousands. They'd hear about Jesus and they'd give their lives to Jesus. I don't know what it will take, but you're going to interact with family members. And you may have the Word that will change their life. You may have the Word that can transform them. You're going to be in the room with people that you don't even like and they're your own family members. Can I get an amen from you? You're going to go and you're going to say, man, I, didn't, I wish I didn't have to go. I don't even like that person. I hope they're saved. But listen, I want you to have a different mentality this year about it. Go enjoy Santa Claus. Help them hide their elf on the shelf. Get you a cup of peppermint tea. Drink it. Enjoy it. Enjoy your time with your family. But go there knowing that you are on assignment for God to live in such a way that your words, your testimony can change their life. So when they start singing here, I want you to come and stand in on behalf of someone who is unable to be here. And if you have a family member that needs to come to Christ and you're willing to allow God to use you as a vessel to speak a word of truth to them, I want you to come and I want you to ask God to give you the wisdom to know how you can do that effectively. Are you you ready? Are you ready? Go ahead and start singing.